0: The thing I want to have happen is, it's common that there's union organizing elections across Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia and Tennessee. It's common to where it's happening so much that people just, you know, it's it's expected and we're being successful. I think that, you know, there's no more having to explain to people what a union is at the first conversation. People have general knowledge of what a union is because of all the great communication work that we're doing. To amplify just the basic message so when they have their first organizing conversation it's not like I never heard of them what aren't they dangerous that's what we get down here but people already have some basic meaning it's common conversation it's happening at the dinner tables it's happening in the barbershops it's happening in the beauty salons like these are ongoing conversations where we're talking about work
1: There's Erica Iheime, the deputy director for Jobs to Move America, an organization dedicated to ensuring that government uses the power of the public funds to create a just and clean and worker-centered economy. Erica has been involved in labor and community organizing for over two decades following her graduation from college and her attendance in the AFL CIOs Organizing Institute. That segment you just heard, she began to present her vision for success 10 or 15 years down the road. I appreciated that long view as the political mess that we are in today did not because of a few missteps over the past three to five years. This mess is a culmination of a 40-plus-year battle over whether the various tools at the disposal of local, state, and federal governments will be used to advance the quality of life for working people of our races, or will the tools be used to enrich the selected elite. We spent the balance of the show discussing with Erica her vision of good organizing practices and how the vision was rooted in her experiences as a black woman and connections to a broad black community. It is important to note, we recorded this conversation just after the leak of the upcoming Supreme Court decision about abortion, but prior to the announcement of the actual decision itself. A lot has been said about the decision and what it portends for the future of this country. And I can't add much to that right now. However, I would want to reference an important article in Foreign Affairs magazine. There will be a link to that article in the show notes. The article outlines how Latin America shifted from a region with some of the most stringent anti-abortion laws to a region where choice and abortion rights are flowering. This process took years of political organizing, and it was spearheaded by taking the issue of choice out of the narrow silo of women's issues, and place it into the larger context of achieving a just society far beyond the issue of abortion. This key lesson is why it is so important to hear from Erica and others who see this fight for justice taking a long time and come and see multiple issues. Let's get to Erica now. Hey folks, this is Steve Pitts. I'm co-host of Blackboard Talk. I'm here with my good friend and my co host, Shree Davis. Shree, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good, Steven.
1: Life treating you okay?
2: You know what? Yes. I went to see for Color Girls on Broadway last oh, night. Oh, wow. How so was that? Was, it's amazing. They got a lot of Tony nominations.
1: That's cool. Um, my entertainment excitement I'm looking forward to is um, the Blue Note, the Blue Note Jazz Club in, in, in New York, they have a Napa Jazz Club out here. And the having a the first ever Blue Note Napa Jazz Festival, it would be off the hook. It sold out in less than a day.
2: Oh, I was like, you inviting me to come to the bay? Yeah.
1: I, I would have. I would have done that, Sheree, but you know, I just um didn't do it. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's
1: all well, right. right. So, so um you see me in as a of color girl, I'll see you in tickets of the dash festival in good shape. <laughs> But but seriously, a lot of stuff's going on. And, and in particular, kind of a, um, wasn't quite a stunning thing, but you know, you expect something to happen. And when it happens, you still feel kind of startled was the the quote unquote leak on um, Supreme Court views on abortion. And one quick thing, it was kind of funny how a lot of the GOP was getting exercised over the leak and how inappropriate it was. At the same time, Clarence Thomas's wife is running around bring a whole bunch of confidentiality, right? But that being said, I don't want to talk about Clarence and Jenny just today. Um, what's your thoughts on, on, on the leaked version of, of, of their views on the real case?
2: Um, in terms of, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that um, I've been sitting with this being a very personal piece. I actually just wrote yeah. a blog post about it yesterday um, because I do think that in so many ways we we talk about abortion like it's out there, um, but we don't necessarily talk about it enough, particularly in labor spaces, as it is as a, as a labor issue. Uh, and so, I've been talking with uh, Tanya Wallace Goldberg, National Black Worker Center, of course, um, about like wh- why is it that we um, usually don't have the the language or a way to be able to make visible the fact that you you can't both say that you want to restrict people's access to abortion but then also say we're not going to give you protections for um you know being pregnant at work we're not going to provide universal child care we're not going to actually see and understand all the health challenges that are related to it um and so those things just don't they don't work out together and and the thing that makes me sad is so many women when they're pregnant they don't tell anybody that they're pregnant um in the early stages for fear that they might get fired um we just heard about what happened uh, i think it's in Texas a democrat um you know fired a staffer long time staffer because because he right after he found out she was pregnant um but we also just don't we we don't necessarily know if we can have a conversation without the judgment if we decide to have an abortion without the risk of a miscarriage and having to mourn in public um or you know just you know not necessarily having an answer or being clear what we wanna do um and again fear of discrimination and so it's just it really, I think it's important that we have this conversation, but I think we need to bring a different kind of context um to the discussion so that it again, it doesn't, you know, don't leave it to the women to figure it out.
1: Yeah. As you're talking, I thought of a couple of things. Um well a lot of things. One, just knowing how a lot of women, my generation, are are quasi traumatized over idea we got to go back, yeah. this thing, you know, I, 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 when you talk about kind of, um, that we shouldn't let, let if the women take care of it, you know, now, part of the problem I think is, is one, the way we take folks identity and put it into little boxes. Right. And, and I think that's wrong, both in terms of people aren't boxes, the whole folk, Right. Uh, um, but also it means that you really can't build a movement of working class folk if you don't deal with the entire spectrum of issues, right? And 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 so to kind of cloister off, you know, abortion or women stuff to for the for y'all women folk take care of it, it, it it's, it's not just wrong kind of morally; it's wrong from a political standpoint, you know. And and also I think the last thing I wanted to comment real we did then bring our, our guest on, is um. You know, things like race and, and gender and sexual orientation and other kind of isms, you might say, for lack of a better term, or, or identity constructs, they come out differently because of class. And, and, and so the way that it, women's issues, quote unquote, or abortion in particular, impacts women, is not simply a monolithic impact. Right. You know, it's going to vary by, by class. Right, and, and, and so it, we can't talk about really building a powerful working class movement without understanding those things, and and so it's incredibly sad. Kind of formally say we're about to enter this dark period. I hope that we have the capacity to kind of rise strong and, and deal with it.
2: Can Can I just say one thing? No, I want to I want to sp- broaden because I do think that um, the recognition that this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? um is important. But I also want to acknowledge the fact that we actually have to use more inclusive language around talking about people who are pregnant, right? Because all people who are pregnant don't identify as women. Um, and there are ways that having an intersectional analysis, this is why I'm always talking about Black feminism, because the lens will give you a way to have the kind of intersectional analysis that makes sure that, you know, the challenges that we're talking about that we do understand that it is a broad spectrum and it's not just a broad spectrum as it relates to class, but it's a broad spectrum as it relates to gender expression It's a broad spectrum as it relates to people um, having being documented. Right. And having access to the resources um, um, that they need to be able to get good care. So there's just so many pieces to it that we talk about it, like you said, in these sections. But bringing an intersectional analysis is the reason why. Um, you know, we we are able to have a more um, rich and robust conversation around how we raise the floor for everybody.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I want to bring in our our, our guest today. We have with us Erica Heme. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Erica, please correct me. That's correct. um uh, I got it once. When I said it. I won't try a second time. By the way, I like being 100. <laughs> um, right now on now, your Erica, no last name, okay? <laughs> um, like you know. LeBron or Michael or Rihanna or Beyonce. You're one of the last name folk, That's okay? Right. One, right. one name folk, rather. Um, but Erica, you work for Jobs across Jobs to Move America.
0: That's
1: right. And, and I'm excited to reconnect with you. You know, um, and also, as, as Sri mentioned, this is the, our mini on black feminism. And, and it was so wonderful to talk with you yesterday um, because in t- us talking, I got a sense about how your experiences as a black woman have shaped your views on how to organize, you know, and it's important to get a sense of that. So tell me more about that whole idea that, that, that your experiences have kind of led you to take what we might call quote unquote typical method of organizing and, and improve upon it.
0: Yeah. Um You know, the way so I've been organizing for 20 years now. Um you
1: started you at start five years old?
0: Yes. <laughs> you can believe that if you want to. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, I'm proud of my age. I'm 42. So I started when I was 22 years old, um, organizing labor unions right out of college. And I came in through the organizing institute, organized in the service industry across SEIU and all of the sectors of stuff for building services. Then I did a lot of education and capacity building and leadership development. But at the root of it all, when we talk about organizing, stepping back, like, you know, the theory of organizing is you have to work 12, 15, 16 hour days. You have to work 21 hour days straight. You have to do 11 days on, three days off. And, and you know, these these crazy expectations as far as time. So we're only talking about time to organize as a, in, in a single pocket. And if you weren't doing all that, then you weren't committed to the work, right? If you got tired and wanted to go home and didn't want to debrief one night, you would be viewed as like, you're not a team player, you're not committed. And I just feel like that right there is problematic because when you do that, you're excluding a whole community of people from the work who could be a contributor in a real way to the work. So that's one difference I have as far as like organizing goals. And I also think You know, when you think about the organizing in the traditional sense, it's like, you know, anybody can organize in any community. So, you know, that's why we keep seeing, you know, New Yorkers coming down to Alabama to organize. Or you see people, you know, sending, um, you know, these you know, white guys from Brown University to go and organize in the ghettos of Detroit. Like, you know, it's something to be said about community. um, And it's something to be said about people from the community organizing themselves and being empowered to be able to organize themselves. And I don't think that, you know, the traditional model of organizing really appreciate that in a way to where they take it seriously. Like we say it, we say we want the communities to organize, but when it's time to start thinking about strategy and implementation, it doesn't show up in the same way. And I think at the root of it all is like... um I feel like the the organizing that I came up under trained in, I, I definitely had to mold and adjust to adapt to that space. But it's definitely designed for a white man. You know, it's designed for someone who don't have children. It's designed for someone who might have some type of higher education. Um, But the people that's most impacted doesn't necessarily look like that. So I definitely have a different view on how organizing should be done. And I've. You know, I've I've built tried and true skill sets through the fire to get to this place. And the way I always tell people is that I kept what I liked and I left what I don't. And I applied it in my organizing as well. So, you know, when I think about organizing, you know, I think that organizing is something that is a lifestyle. I think that it could be done 24 hours a day, but that doesn't mean you're working indoors 24 hours a day. You know, it's, it's a fluid. Organizing is fluid. Every interaction is relationship building. Is understanding that it's really about my value is not from 6 a.m. at a shift change until 10 p.m. at a um, debrief. That's not my only value. Am I really effective if I'm going 12 hours a day for 21 days straight on a blackout campaign? Am I really being the best? And am I organizing out of a place when, if that's the standard, what place am I organizing from? I think we have to organize from our soul. We have to organize from our inner core. And when you're on those types of schedules, you're more, you're organizing more out of, um, like a desperate desire to meet the standard that doesn't necessarily get you a means to your end. And so I feel like we have to really just rethink you know, our approach, like more time and driving yourself into the ground and burning out is not the healthiest way to sustain talent and good organizers. And I think that we have to really rethink what is a balanced lifestyle for an organizer. I work a lot, but I also have three children. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 2-year-old. I show up at everything. I'm at every meeting. I'm there early. I sometimes leave late, but it's not at the cost of my family. Because I have flexibility, I've required my career to pivot, to understand that I am a woman first, I'm a mother, you know, I have a life, and that I can't put everything on a bookshelf to just talk to workers all day, every day, and neglect my community, because that is bad modeling for the people that we're organizing. We're talking about people need to have good jobs, people have to have quality of life, People have to have work-life balance, health and safety, working 21 hours a day, 17 hours a day, you know, for weeks on end, it's not healthy. That's a work hazard. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've had two breaks in my career where I was burned out. The first time I burned out in 2008, right after we um, got Obama elected for the first time, I had to take two years off and I got my master's degree during that time so I could get myself back together. I had a burnout in 2015 right after we opened up higher end and organized San Bernardino workers in California. I had to take a whole year off just to get myself back. And both times I left, I was like, "Is labor for me. Is organizing for me. This is not a sustainable lifestyle. Now imagine if I would have took those breaks and never came back, burned out and never came back. We wouldn't be doing the organizing we're doing today. And I know so many good organizers who, excellent talents, but you can't, they won't touch organizing with a 10-foot pole because they tried to force themselves into this culture of organizing that is not practical, it's not realistic, and it's not sustainable. I just answered a lot. I just gave you Look, a lot I was answer. about to say,
2: Stephen, I think she answered all the questions. questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think she answered all the questions. I think I think we might be done here. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to ask this question. She was like, well, I'm going to answer it. I was like, oh.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 Don't you're, you're be sorry. Let's right set good.
2: the frame.
1: As you were talking, what I thought about, Erica, I, I kind of had this kind of snarky sayings that if you act crazy, you attract crazy people. Can I see what you were saying in, in terms of, is the traditional organizer life one that will attract people you're trying to actually organize? And I thought about it also as you were talking, because a lot of things you're saying was from, from the the perspective of the organizer, which is important, but we should also talk about the perspective of people trying to link up with. And I want to say not organize because it makes them into objects, but people trying to build organic connections with. And the question is, how do you do that? And, and as you were alluding to, and you know you know far better than I know, by the way, that you can't build those good connections when you are running, running around to, like a head cut off. So we can't do that. And, and um, it's sad that we don't see that. And, uh, and it would be fascinating to, not now, unless you want to, but get a sense of why this is the case. Because in some ways it's kind of like, well, duh, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But clearly, though it may be obvious, we don't actually roll that, that out. And the last thing I thought, too, is just that, I mean, you can see my little gray hairs here, okay? Um, back in the day, um, a slogan was simply that white folks are organizing in their, their own communities. And so you talked about folk from New York coming down, organizing in, in rural Alabama, folk from Brown University, white guys from Brown University organizing in, in inner city of Detroit. I would bet you those choices were made by folk in inner city of Detroit. And, and, and so it speaks to, once again, who makes decisions mm-hmm. and, and how they're making them and, and what's the goal in doing so. And... I don't want to name any names, but I guess you. I see a hand come up over here. You want to name names, you What?
2: No, I'm not going to name any names, but but I also just want to make sure that we don't lose the fact that Erica said I got burned out, and so I went and got a master's degree. And and you know, I don't know that there's any other context where that would make total sense. But I I literally wanted to high five you. Because I'm like, I got burnout and I went and got a doctorate. Like, I literally was like, I can't, I'm, I'm so worn out. I have given everything. Right. And so I'm going to pull back and go do another hard thing. Um, but the, but the the mindset was that that was resting in comparison to, and, and, and there's so many folks that make that, make that decision. And you're right. They don't come back. Um, they don't come back.
1: Yeah. See, when I get burned out, I go to McDonald's personally. But y'all, y'all go get some degrees. I go to McDonald's and get some hamburgers. But whatever. Okay. But what you're saying is really important, though. That, that 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 the idea of going back to school isn't simply I'm lounging on the beach for a couple of years. It's just work, right? Uh, and that is actually a, a, a break from to, from the insanity that happens other other ways.
0: Exactly. Kind of, before you ask yeah, the question, before you answer this question, I just have to say my break was. The master's degree, like, everybody was stressed out and, like, was just done. And I was like, oh, this is easy. I'm to pick up a gig here, pick up a gig there. I did home care for elderly people while I was in grad school. I was a radio DJ co-host. I built the organizing, a community organization. I contracted with the teachers union. I had, like, three and four, and I was a, a research assistant, and I worked for the president's office all while getting my master's degree. And I was like, this is a breeze.
2: Right. Great. That That is so true. Like that, like working with c- uh, community organizing, I mean, like literally student organizing on campus, all the things still brought all of what what we do in the labor movement and just and just set up shop on these campuses and in communities or what have you. I was doing environmental justice stuff, health stuff, you name it. So yeah. but it's still it's still I was like, well, nobody's going to get evicted if I don't turn in this paper. Nobody is going to lose their health insurance if I don't like if if you don't get it when you when you want it. And so there was a certain way that my classmates were like, this is so hard. I was like, no, no, there's <laughs> the level of accountability. It's a, this is a very different conversation. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, know I, I know I digress, but it is a big piece around like what happens and, and why we hemorrhage, particularly black folks out of labor. Right. We just lose them.
1: I want to circle back to some things you're saying, Erica, in terms of um, the, your ability to do better work from a different perspective. Because what drives this podcast is the idea of building power, and and, and we don't think that having a phenomenal tweet is power building, you know? And 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 so power building means making those connections and stuff with folk. And we don't do it well. We don't have sufficient power that we could have. So could talk about about how, talk about some concrete steps you took giving you a new lens of organizing to help build the power that we need.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely a multidimensional approach, Um, you know, from, you know, having the right team and giving them the right support to do the work. Um, And I'll just bullet them and then I'll come back around and just expand a little bit. But having the right team, giving them space to do the work, um, having real community engagement and not transactional relationships with these institutions to just get what we need at the moment, but also really having a truly collaborative space with a, you know, where we identify the goal together and we put the pieces in line to get towards that goal together. And it's not so much where someone is coming in saying, I need y'all to do this, this, and this, and we'll be successful and this is a victory. So really rethinking like what is the end game, um, really having a a, a real sense of like a holistic approach to the work. Um and, and, and how do we have a whole, you know, outcome? And so I'm gonna circle back around and just talk about, you know, the team. You know, the team is so important because the team is gonna be the ones that's gonna drive the work and get the job done. Whatever it is, like if it's let's get these streets painted, you know, if it's let's organize a thousand people, if it's Let's get the city council to pass a resolution. It has to be the right team. And so stepping away from the old model of organizing, like, sheer quantitative metrics. Everything's about metrics. Um, let's add some soul to it. How do we make people feel good about their work? Um, how do we make people feel empowered to be deciders? Like, in the old model... You know, I was a robot. Like, you know, I got direction. I executed the direction. Once I was done, I was on to the next one and then the next one and then the next one. In addition, you had the underlying theme of um pressure cooker. It was always an emergency. It was always a crisis. Like, how do we plan in this new way of organizing? How do we plan to be more proactive? How do we plan on the offense to so where we're not always putting out fires? And how do we plan our work in the way that we're mindful that the team need a break? you know, I'm very intentional about breaks, creating space, not even on the, not just on the macro level, like take a vacation here and there, but like in your work day, are you taking time for yourself? Everybody's required to put a block on their schedule to eat. And I'm not practicing what I preach. I'm only drinking ginger tea for lunch, which I should have done better, but you know, but I did have some time to sit on my hammock today. So it's like, Finding time throughout the day, encouraging the team to know that it's okay to find time in the day. In the middle of a work week, we work 10 hours a day. If you want to go and get your nails done at one o'clock on a Thursday, get your nails done. If you want to go to watch a movie on a Tuesday at two o'clock in the day, go watch a movie because the work is going to be here. And as long as you're hitting your goals, be more goal oriented and not like, This time tells me that you're being successful, but instead hitting this goal tells me that you're successful. If you're still hitting your goals, you're successful. So if you want to jack off a day, an hour or two in your day to do whatever makes you feel good, do it. And so we have to encourage healthy workspaces. We have to encourage time. We have to get people to understand, like, if you want to go watch your kid basketball game, go watch the basketball game. Don't ask me for permission. If you got the time, take the time. You're hitting your goals. We're good. Like We need to let people know it's okay to live your life because this work is 24-hour work. And if you're afraid to live your life for a block of your day because you have to be tied to this and this and this, is that sustainable? How many times are people going to compromise their kids to be able to do their job? Like you, you only get so much of that and you're not going to get the best out of that person. You're going to get resentment. You're going to get disdain for the job. The team has to be whole, meaning that they're physically whole, mentally whole, professionally whole, meaning that they're trained up and they have the skills necessary to do what's expected of them and being realistic about their capacity. So sometimes we try to force people, got to get tools. You got to move these conversations. You got to get supporters and you got to get leaders. Well, what if that's not their real gift? What if their real gift is creating, creating beautiful graphics and trendy gifts and, you know, things that go on the internet real well and, and, and everybody buys into it? Why not us reposition that person and lean them into their strengths? So really being mindful about your team's strength and figuring out how do we maximize them in the way that they feel comfortable and feel good about their work. So that's the team. And then the the, the, the partnerships, the allies, the people that's going to do the work with us, You know, I come from a a class of organizing where we sit in a room as a team and we decide what needs to happen and what are the asks. And then we go and then we tell everybody what they need to be doing. We tell the community what the asks are and can they move it. You get minimal results. You know, if you hit enough people in the community, you'll get some results, but it won't be optimum. Um, My theory of organizing is let's get the coalition, the people that we're going to be working with, let's get them in a room. Let's tell them what the problem is. And then we figure out how to identify that problem and name it and then figure out a solution to that problem together. And then each piece of us take a piece to be able to accomplish the resolution to that problem. I think that buy-in on the front end give you maximum impact on the back end. And if you're coming in and telling me what I need to do, I'm not you're not really considering all the other things that I have to do. And I see that in in, in the labor movement and organizing spaces so much, and we always wonder. Why the community ain't coming to the meetings that we're having? Why people aren't moving this petition as fast as we want them to? Because one, we didn't consider them and what they already had on their plate when we gave them that ask. And then two, they tired of coming to meetings where every time they come, you're asking them for three or four other asks. Like, I'm not going to be coming to me when every time I go, you asking me for something. It's like answering the phone for that person who only calls you when they need money. Like, <clears throat> no, thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm on the podcast. so You can't see my expressions. I'm known for my facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> we can see it. <laughs> but it's the truth. You have to have buy-in and it has to be collaborative. And you're working in partnership with community partners. You, Your teammates, your comrades, you're not them and us. We need them, so we'll go to them to get what we need for our thing. But instead, what is it that you guys need? What capacity do we have to fill that need? How do we get to this place together? It's really more of a community collective. And the way I came to this place was because, you know, I come, I come from a community, um, environment. You know, my culture is all about community and sharing resources and figuring out who got it, who don't. Let's figure out how to get it for those who don't. Like that's my whole, that's my upbringing. That's all I know. And so I bring that into organizing and I just approach the community the same way. And I think that It it, it shows, you know, the fruit is in the the fruit is there. So it's like, you know, I'm going to continue to tinker with it and see how far we could go with it. But I do think that it can't be us coming with the ask all the time. But instead, here's the problem. What can we do to get to it? Like understanding that it's a problem that impact them and they understand how it impacts them, too. It may be in a different way, but they understand the impact. So now they're gonna be doggish about figuring out a solution so they won't no longer be impacted in an harmful
1: way. And let's figure out how to resolve it together. I, I thought a lot of things you're talking, I know you were about to jump in, but us say a couple of quick things. You can you can jump in. Um one is that and we had a really fascinating conversation with Beverly Guy Sheffold um, to start this mini series on black feminism. You know, and and two things I took away from that, two things and many things was the whole question of interlocking oppressions um, that we talk about different stuff happening. They all kind of fit together in some ways, but also that we should treat people as whole folk, you know? And, 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 and so people who are tuning in, to know more black feminism, you know, we're talking about black feminism on the ground because you're talking about people being whole folk and dealing with the holes outside of themselves is an important thing to understand. What I also thought about too is when you mentioned the idea that we kind of I like pick people who are kind of already leaning towards us and want to drive them to the, to, the, to the ground instead of saying, well, who do you want to talk with and bring them in and converse together? I think a lot of that flows when we don't have a defined targeted base and the goal of getting what we call super majorities. Because if you think you can roll with simply five people, you find five people, right? <laughs> but if you say you want to roll with 95% of a, of a, of a defined set of peoples, you got to behave differently. And you kind of raising raising that in a lot of really important ways. But Shree, I cut you off. Shree, you're about to say something. No, no,
2: no, no. I mean, I was definitely like leaning in. Um, but there's a there's a couple of different things that I think is I really want to pull out. So Stephen asked you how you build power, and then you responded by talking to us about your leadership style, right? Like how you hold the organization, um, a care ethic. And centering relationship building, and again, to me, that is exactly the argument that myself, my colleague um, Tammy Lee, um, Naomi R. Williams, um, and 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 my Tetapia, we've been talking about that, that this that that there is a a feminist approach to shifting la- labor. Because we know that as an individual leader, we have power. And when we transform the way we do things, that it impacts the organizations. that when we center the needs of the people in the organizations, that we can build something bigger um, and that what we do inside our organizations really does make a difference around whether or not people want to do this with us. And the thing that I was wondering coming out of this is, you, where do you sit? right? Because we talk about labor and we talk about community, but what I'm hearing from you is like, you're on the bridge, right? Like you're the, you're you you you're bridging in a particular way. And I don't know exactly how, if that's how Jobs to Move America functions, but like if we were putting in the like worker organization or community organization, um, would you think of it as a both and, or or the work that you're doing as both and, or not seeing it separately?
0: I think until, you know, the way labor is set up, I think, you know, we kind of forced into uh, this and like a separate situation. So I guess I would be serving as like a connector role, a bridge, um, where, because like I've always, like my entire union career, I've always maintained Erica Harris as a community person, right? I'm Erica Iheme by marriage, and that's what labor knows me as, but I've always maintained North Birmingham, Erica Harris neighborhood, home girl, get to the club, drop it like it's hot, you know, kick it with my folks, holler at the people at the gas station. Like I've never lost that. No matter how long I've been gone, I've been gone 20 years, but I kept a foot in my community. I would go to community meetings when I was in town. I would make sure that I was in town on Tuesday night so I could do tasty Tuesdays at the platinum with my people. You know, like I made sure that I kept that community presence. Um, and, and because I know that the conversation of labor is so far from so many people. So those relationships that have been cultivated all of these years are now coming into play. I never thought it would be in this way, but yes. it's like, that's why you got environmental groups in our coalition, civil rights groups, really faith-based groups. We're bringing these groups together and we're sitting them at the table with labor as a peer. Yes. Not as labor coming in as an authority, but as a partner, an equal mm-hmm. partner. So we share collaborative spaces equally and no one group has more weight than the other. And as for me as a leader, how I show up in the room, I care not to sit at the front of the room and just talk to people all day. I actually blend in and there's new people in the room. I'll probably want to sit with the newest people and I'll just fall back mm-hmm. um, and let the team do whatever they need to do. It's not important for me for everyone to know who I am in the room. That's not important yes. for me. Um, what's important for me is that everyone is getting it, that everyone is having a voice and is engaged in, in, in being a player. But the days of labor telling community what they need to be doing, for me, I just feel like that's not the move. I feel like what labor would benefit from is sitting in community spaces as an authentic participant. And understanding what's the conversation and then figuring out what are the issues together and working collect- collectively to move them, And then also labor, figuring out what resources can they swing to help strengthen this, not in a transactional approach, but, I, but like I really believe in you guys making sure that people have transportation to their jobs. If people have transportation to the jobs, that will cut down on turnover and that will positively impact our union membership. So how do we support you in getting that and not expecting
1: nothing in return? I want to kind of talk about my sense of two areas of, of your work. Um, you're in Alabama. Where are you in Alabama, by the way? Are you in Birmingham? Where are you? b
0: yeah. Birmingham, Alabama, born and raised.
1: Just got okay. back home two years ago and loving it. Okay, hey, um, I, I thing I told you, I have Alabama roots. My, my father was born in, in Montgomery and my mother born in Talladega, by the way. And, and so I'm kind of a halfway out boy in many ways. And so Yeah, you're we, home,
0: but we got you coming home. Let's see. I will cornbread and beans and all that good stuff.
1: Just no chitlings, though. I, I'm okay in the cornbread and, and beans, but no chitlings, okay? Don't push it too far now, okay? Um, <laughs> I
0: ain't going to max you out.
1: <laughs> but, but, but you're in Birmingham, and, and you mentioned before when we talked yesterday that you were involved in doing some of the community support work around the Amazon campaign in Bessemer, which is a suburb of Birmingham. And we've heard a lot of the news about the amazing victory um, up on Staten Island, the folk in, in Amazon. And we know throughout the country there's still those energy around organizing in, in, in Amazon and so forth. Tell me more about your experiences and um, the work you did in organizing. So kind of apply your your methodology of organizing to the work around Amazon. Tell me more about that, okay?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, even though the count didn't come out in favor initially, I would say we still claim a victory in Alabama. Um, yeah, so I work with Jobs to Move America. I don't think we, I said that yet, but we work with Jobs to Move America. Um, we have offices um, in Los Angeles, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Alabama, and we're standing one up in Mississippi. But in Alabama, we have the Southern program, and the Southern program is the one that's responsible we're building out this interdisciplinary coalition around improving working conditions across the South, particularly in Alabama. The coalition is called the Alabama Coalition for Community Benefits. On the first Amazon campaign, we were the only one of the only community groups that stood up and actually did some impact work to help you know drive that campaign. So when part two came around, we were already on deck. We already knew that we need there was a role for us to play. We have some goals within our organization that we want to accomplish. And we thought this would be a great opportunity to really like strengthen our our work in um, as a coalition. And so, the community piece was a, a really cool piece that um, our team led, um, but people from all over the country pitched in to help this thing happen. I mean, Jobs with Justice, OSL, Lift Fund, AFL. I mean, ooh, the Unemployed Workers United, NAACP, like. There's these national partners who were, um, you know, weighing in trying to, you know, help move the community piece. But the thing that made this community program so be- beautiful and so different than other community programs I've seen with labor union drives was that the ideas and the strategy for how the community was going to move came from the community. Our coalition put together the strategy. We talked about what it was that we wanted to do and our team executed it. So what we were able to accomplish during this card drive um, during this union organizing drive was just something that we've never seen in Alabama before outside of traditional political GOTV ca- campaigns so what you saw happening in the community was we were able to build a um we had already started building the faith and labor table we went from 19 faith leaders to 56 faith leaders in a 3 month period very cool, we very um cool. yeah we did a, um we did a, a community blitz it's called the um, faith, community, and labor blitz. Um, when we blitz, the community, and a blitz is basically when you hit a whole bunch of doors in a quick period of time, you throw all your resources at it and you get maximum results. That's what we're doing union organizing. So we did a community blitz. We hit over 500 beauty shops and barber shops because we recognize that the leaders of the community are oftentimes those barbers and those master stylists. When you go in that shop, everybody respect them. If they tell them to take their shoes off at the door, you're going to take your shoes. Like they control the community and we recognize that. So we got into those community barbershops and beauty salons and educated them around the Amazon campaign and what it did mean to all of us as citizens of Alabama. And so when people come in there, because they you talk about everything in these spaces, right? It's almost certain that Amazon got 6,000 people working there. People getting their hair done, most black people, most young people. So that means that they're getting their hair done somewhere. They're getting their hair cut somewhere. And when they go in these places, we talk about everything. And I'm sure somebody's like, man, what's up on this Amazon campaign? And if no one is in that room informed and have the right words to say, that could go left real quick. So what we did is we got ahead of the ball and we got in there and we educated those those people in those barbershops. So when people come in and bring the conversation up, They'll have at least one person in the room informed and the most important person in the room would be informed. So we hit over 500 of these spots. We had created these little handbills that basically told people how to vote on one side. And on the left side, it had the coalition message of why we support Amazon workers and why you should too. We gave out 10,000 of those. Um, we did a community day rally where we spell it lowercase c o m m, all caps u n i t y. This was a community rally which was put on by um, our coalition. Um, Black Workers Center was in partnership with it. Um, But basically what we did is we moved away from the traditional union rally where you got to go out in the field and everybody to be talks for like an hour, two hours straight and then go home. We had brought a local um, radio DJ, to MC, Lady Wu. We bought some local talent, Logan to perform a concert for us. We bought out some food trucks. We had a bounce house and we got it in a park that everybody come to. So even if people were just passing by, we had all these people come to the rally and they got a chance to get some basic understanding of what labor is, why it matter and why the people who they look at and respect in the community is talking about it. And we had a damn good time. And so, you know, those are just a few things that the community was able to do to support the work. Um, But ultimately, it was really about showing up in the community, creating visibility in the community and bringing the conversation of labor into the community because there's a deep education that needs to happen around labor here in the South again. You know, our great grandfathers are the ones who organized the coal miners in the 30s. Like we have to reintroduce labor in a modern way. And the only way we can do that is by going to where people are who are going to be organized. And so that's what the community effort did. So we were able to come up with, oh, the Unemployed Workers United. How can I forget? They did. They they hosted a um. Our coalition worked with them to host a um text drive, and we we had a text drive of four hundred and thirty thousand Black people between the ages of 65, 16 and sixty five across the state, and we were able to come back with about sixty five hundred Alabamians who are interested in talking about labor. So now we got to open it to have conversations with all these people about labor across Alabama, and so like. You know, we're just bringing, we're just trying to get the conversation of labor into as many people's faces as possible. And this Amazon campaign was a great opportunity to do that. The resources were here. We were very thoughtful about how to use those resources. And now we are walking away with a stronger faith and labor table, a stronger co- coalition overall, a base of people that we can now start organizing, a community that understands that we exist, that the coalition exists, and they're looking forward to more stuff in the community. And we're gonna to continue to build on it. It doesn't stop when the elections stop. This is a ten or fifteen year strategy to turn Alabama into a place that people will have good jobs, safe jobs, and decisions that's gonna be made through the political spaces are gonna positively impact every citizen of Alabama. Like I see it, it's gonna happen, and we're building towards that now.
1: You know, besides the Phenomenal energy that, that you bring to the discussion and uh, talking about it. And that clearly was manifest in, in the campaign. I really appreciated the last thing you said about 10 to 15 year campaign. A lot of time we want it quick. Oh my God, we didn't get it today. We failed. And I think about how they had a massive steel strike in 1919 that, that was busted by big steel. But the steel workers won eventually in, in, mid th- in the mid thirties, right? And you had people who started organizing folk in auto industries in the 20s, how Frank broke through in the mid late 30s. And I think about how they had this kind of battle in Black Detroit for the soul of Black Detroiters between the ministers who were kind of in the back pocket, of Henry Ford, and folks who saw them pouring the CIO. It's just a battle we engaged in. And here we talk about it, I hear this kind of battle, not in, a, in an aggressive way, but simply in a community building way. And, and, and the question I have, Erica, is, what is the or several containers that are actually holding the power? I think that, that, that a danger I, I see from the outside, not, not instead of what you're doing, but in general, is that we, we get really good at kind of mobilizing, having kind of um, surface IDing of folk. But we can't bring them together in, 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 a, in a cohesive force that's going to roll beyond this. I just wonder, what's kind of the the table or the organization that's holding folk? We can't talk about issues and victories not only in Amazon battles, but in other battles around the state itself.
0: Yeah, that's a real good question, because when people think about organizing, they only think about the solidarity work and the mobilization of people, right? Organizing is so much more. And and when you talk about containers, I see it as buckets of work, um, and I think there has to be you know, a space where people understand that there's buckets of work, that each bucket needs to be filled in order for us to really be successful and can't, you know, neglect one and and value one more over the other. They all carry equal weight. So, you know, the mobilization and the solidarity work, like I just described to you, that happened around Amazon campaign in Alabama, that's 20% of it, right? There, The other part of it is you know, the, the the research, the understanding of the issue and the narrative setting and the messaging, you know, that's a, a very serious bucket because when we're going to have these solidarity conversations, what are we saying? And what is it based on? Because we feel like people just need to have a union. What are the bases? So like research is going to be another important bucket that we have to continue to lift up and, and and pour into, but also making sure that people from these communities get a chance to navigate in that space. Then you know there's a communications bucket. Like, how do we amplify this message? Because if there was no amplification of the message, would people have even known that we were building a movement in Alabama around Amazon workers? Amplification is everything, whether it's through social media, whether it's through, you know, press media, whether it's through like amplification. So communications is a very important bucket that we need to value and it is an organizing tool. Um, you know, for me, you know, a lot of people. always say, go to the politicians. The politicians, the politicians. Like for me, I don't get excited about politicians. I understand that they, you know, they help set the law. Um, they help set the policies. It's important for them to see our, you know, see what it is we're trying to do. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't want to get in trouble on this radio. I'm choosing my words wisely right now.
1: This is Eric. Erica, I'm retired. I can't get in trouble. So that's that's what you decide. What you do, okay? I'm I'm cool. Whatever you say, okay.
0: I mean, just put it like this: If I had five things I needed to put my energy into, politicians would be last. It'd be number six, huh? Mm. I mean, because the truth is, they change so much, and you know, they, they they're bought by these corporations, and when they're bought, you know, their citizens aren't their first priority anymore. You know, like. It's very fruit-, fruit That's tried and true. And my dad used to be a neighborhood president and a community president. And I used to say, "Daddy, are you a politician?" He said, "No, I'm a community leader and I'm a statesman." So, like, I'm looking for the community leaders and the statesmen. Now, if we get some of those, they'll move up in my priorities. But I think the 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 the, the places that hold it together would be the the coalition, the organizations that support these coalitions that has this common goal of improving worker issues or housing issues, whatever it is, like you have to treat the coalition like a single stakeholder. Because things will get lost if all the priority like things get lost if all of us aren't looking at it the same at the same time. We have to be on the same page. Go ahead,
2: Like I know I was just thinking, so I was just talking to a friend of mine who is about to launch a center for storytelling and social justice Ooh. at the University of Alabama. So you know I'm gonna be making that phone call, right? But Please. one of the things that we talked about was, you know, like, what is it? What is you talked about the 10 to 15 year goal goal? And I was like, you know, like, what is the arc? And she said, I want to be able to make the South safe for everyone through storytelling. Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like,
2: yes. Right. So when I'm hearing what you're saying, you're like the Amazon campaign is it's a, a thing that we can organize people around. But what's the 15-year, like, thing that you want to hit, right? Like, the thing that you're working towards that that is bigger, like, what is the thing that you want to have happen?
0: Um, the thing I want to have happen is it's common that there's union organizing elections across Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia and Tennessee. It's common to where it's happening so much that people just, you know, it's, it's expected and we're being successful. Um, I think that, you know, there's no more having to explain to people what a union is at the first conversation. People have general knowledge of what a union is because of all the great communications work that we're doing to amplify just the basic message. So when they have their first organizing conversation, it's not like, I never heard of a union. What's, aren't they dangerous? That's what we get down here. Um, but people already have some basic union. It's, it's common conversation. It's happening at the dinner tables, it's happening in the barbershops, it's happening in the beauty salons. Like, these are ongoing conversations where we're talking about work. Like, it's so weird. Work is what drive America. But when it comes to making decisions and thinking about our society, the worker is the last thing people think about or talk about. It's so weird to me. Like, how can we sit here and talk about housing issues and food issues and poverty and never talk about yes. workers?
2: Yes. And some people don't even want to identify as workers, right? And so sometimes we have the hard thing of people being like, I'm not a worker, you know, and then, and then, and then you're like, well, well, how do I really have a conversation about workers' rights if you won't even identify that way, particularly black, right? Black folks. I was also just thinking about, you know, Erica Smiley and Sarita Gupta's new book, The Future We Need. Let me read. Organizing for a better democracy in the 21st century. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think is remarkable about that is they did go and sit with ordinary folks who did extraordinary things in places that you would not expect. Right. And listen to the wholeness of their stories. And the thing that I want to say to you is I want to just add that success would be that we see more leaders like you. Mm-hmm. Who, who are organizing or thinking about this um, in a sustainable way um, and that uh, Erica Ehime is not abnormal, right? Like, or non-traditional leader or whatever the case may be, that this is just how, this is how we do that. And so I just, I wanted to add that, you know, in terms of the the 15-year plan um, that we see, we see more folk who are doing it like you.
0: I I, mean, I love that. I love
1: that. Well, I enjoyed hearing you, Erica, talk about the various things that would embody that 15 year plan is one thing I hear, which is cool. It may be what, what you wanted to say or emphasize is broadening the definition of black issues. Because mm-hmm. t- to my mind, too often what happens is we have kind of a you know, black issues in a box. And, 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 and so, for instance, we got to make sure that, oh, the hot thing now is crypto. We got to make sure Black folks get this share year, this year of crypto, right? Or the legal marijuana got a share of marijuana stuff. We got to find our brand, and, and we have kind of a narrow view of what Black issues are. And so, why are you talking about? Is how do you kind of really root deeply in Black folks that important leg of community uplift is union organizing, and not simply dropping a flyer, right, or having somebody preach on Sunday once a, once a year, but the deep. Deep work. People see that the daily lives are impacted by the quality of their neighbors' lives, and the neighbors' lives are impacted by the quality of their work. We're impacted by unions. It's an important thing to do, and I'm really excited to hear how you do that. And 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 so your challenge, your task, will transform the entire South in ten years. We'll check back. We'll check back and see how you're doing. By the way, that's right. Okay, that's right. I, I wanted to kind of shift gears a bit. Um. See how this flows, okay? So this is a mini-series of Black feminism. And, and by the way, we're having a special episode where we have a video of Erica on this episode, by the way. So all the expressions you're using, people see those expressions, girl, okay? Understand mm-hmm. that, okay?
2: <laughs>
1: was seriously. Like, that
2: wasn't in the fine print. <laughs>
1: but, it, but it was there, though, okay? I got gotcha. you. But seriously, though, um, and how you roll both as individual and as a conscious organizer embodies a lot of the things that I just say Beverly Guy Sheffield talked about in and by feminism. And when we talk, you and I talked some yesterday, kind of our pre interview you brought up the, the Kambahai River Collective statement and how you agreed with a lot of things they said there in terms of the goals and so forth. And then you said, however, okay. You don't see us as being a black feminist. Nope. Now, first of all, I'm cool. I'm okay with labels. Whatever. My thing is gonna be: let's roll strong, let's roll deep, and we win. And we cool. You want to call yourself an apple? I'm cool with that. Okay. However, however, okay, the world goes beyond Stephen, Sheree, and Erica, and labels have means beyond the, the three of us. Okay. And so, talk a bit, about, a bit about why you're so insistent, to be honest, Erica, that you're not a black feminist. Okay, someone this, this gets you in trouble this way. Okay, just seriously, <laughs> t- talk you, some. You
0: handled that question with so much care, Steve. I appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> because I recognize that my position is not popular opinion in the spaces that I navigate. I've had several debates about it. I just, you know, I've never identified as a feminist. You know, i you know, I'm, I'm up on Audrey Lloyd, I'm up on um, what, uh, Gay, what's her name? Um, uh, uh, bad oh, feminism. Roxanne Gay. I'm up on it. <laughs> I'm up on the come, come in, River Collective. I'm up on it. I'm up on it. I'm up on it. But I just never saw myself as a feminist. I never identified as a feminist. I'm a very traditional girl. I have very deep Southern values. I grew up in a very Christian household. and I Now, don't get me wrong. I'm definitely an ally of fe- feminism. I'm an ally of Black feminism. But I need people like me need allies because when I tell people that I believe the man should be the head of my house, they look at me and turn their nose down. You know, feminism, one of, feminism, one of the core principles is that, you know, it's about women's liberation and autonomy. I don't want autonomy in my house. I believe in the family unit, whether it's a man and wife, two wives, two husbands. I just believe in the unit, the family support unit. And I feel like for me, Feminism exits out the opportunity for you to take out my trash, to pay my bills for me, to open the door for me, to pick up the bill at dinner. Like I'm all for all the chivalry. I'm here for you know, man, men, The you know, somebody in everything we do, somebody has to be a final decider. You know what I mean? As a woman, in in, in my value system and how I was raised up and the way I've seen it modeled, you know, I pick my husband. Because I trust him to decide for our family. And so when I can't trust him to decide for my family, we have some insecurity and it ain't going to work. But in the presence of a strong, solid-minded Black man, which I value, please, by all means, I'll fall back. Even though I'm bossing it up around the country as a national labor leader. My man could have the head of the household. And I think because of my strong feelings in that way, that automatically kind of (laughs) <laughs> cuts me out of the whole feminism world. <laughs> but I'm an ally. I love
2: you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so funny because I will say, and I, I've, I've identified as a Black feminist for a while, um, that the thing that you just described th- doesn't, to me, say, no, nah. <laughs> like you, you can't be in, say, club or whatever the case may be. Because to me, the way that I came up with Black feminism Is that one of the things that really drew me when I was in classes was that people were talking about, you know, the first feminist in my life was my mom because my mom did these things in this way or raised me in this way. My mom would not identify as a feminist. My grandma wouldn't identify as a feminist, but they also encouraged and rejected like a particular kind of patriarchy that would that would that would limit my options. and so. I didn't come up with white feminism in any way. And so some of the things that kind of these limited ideas, these classed ideas around like what feminism is or isn't, I didn't necessarily feel like I had to reject a thing because I didn't know about the thing. Um, But the coming up under particular black feminists, like specifically Beverly Guy the thing that I understood is that. It is a conversation around choice, right? Mm-hmm. And that we get to set up our households and live in our households and, 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 and be, and, and still be the boss, right? In other arenas or what have you. But that we have choices around what that looks like as opposed to somebody being able to dictate that this is the way it is and this is how you have to do it or what have you. And so I, I'm one of those people who are sitting over there and I'm hearing you say, I am not that. I'm like, all right, fine. I was like, but you check like all 10 of my boxes. And so <laughs> that's what so, people say. Like this doesn't right. make sense to me. I don't know. You know, I was like, it's, it's all good. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to invite you to the crunk feminist collective. Cause I think if you, if you see, if you check out how we talk about crunk feminism and how we, you know, we're going to be southern that you like, you said, going to the club and dropping it like it's hot and then getting out on Saturday and going to organize that to me is crunk feminism. Mm-hmm. And we've been, we've been, we've been talking about that for. Well, over 10 years now that 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 there's a way that we actually it's a practice. It's the way that we show up. It's the way that we listen. Right. It's the way that we articulate. Like for me, I did just post on the Crunchwomeness Collective blog about having an abortion. And I did that because I know too many people don't talk about it and that too many people don't think about the way it impacts their economics and the way it impacts them as it relates to work. Or if they think about it, there's not a larger narrative for them to connect to. And so for me, my feminist practice is to do a hard thing, to say a thing so that other people will be able to come forward and connect to a thing and, and speak about it. Cause I don't want this, this weekend, I, I'm afraid that the, the conversation around abortion is going to get whitewashed. Mm. Um, and, 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 and that is because I don't think enough of our black organizations, enough of our labor organizations, are gonna flood in to say, and this is a labor issue, this is a black issue, this is this is all of our issues, it's a community issue. And we have to frame that, right? We have to say, we have to frame it and identify or don't identify the way that we show up our practices that that stuff really matters and having having the the feeling that we're supposed to do that thing. And that's what I see in you, that you're like, I do this, because I am I am of this community Um and um I have brought all of this knowledge and experience right here home. And what we're going to do is transform what they say, bloom where you are. We're going to transform right here and we're going to have a thousand flowers. You know what I mean? Like just blooming all over the South. And that for me is like that's my feminist heaven. <laughs> But we call it what we you know call it whatever we will, but but that's what yeah. my that's my southern my southern heaven on that. So a couple of yeah.
1: things, er, er, a couple of Eric. So so this not this not meant to be a recruiting drive, by the way.
2: No, I feel like <laughs> I just <laughs> got organized to be honest. I'm like, dang, Sheree organized to make me a feminist today.
1: <laughs> and, and I don't and I don't want your husband getting mad at me, right? All of a sudden, knocking my door, beating me up—that that ain't gonna happen, okay? But I want to say a couple other things. I think your response to the idea of black feminism. Is similar to a lot of folks' response to the question of union organizing and left politics, where there's, there's, aside from the commonality of values that people share, what sometimes drives folk away from that thing is both the, the, the motion of the dominant forces who want to put feminist or union folk or socialists in a negative box. Yeah. I mean, I mean we kind of hear that in the air. And also... Sometimes folk who say they might be feminist or union folk or socialist, because of how they come to the work, yes. bring their baggage, they yes. do some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned earlier about the people who are going to try to think organizing means rock, driving like, around like you're crazy, right? They probably some damn good folk, right? But when they practice that in ways that gives a shit a bad name. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important as we think through the idea of labels, I hope that we always have labels being secondary to actual practice in relationships. That I think both those things happen. The individuals will practice the labels imperfect because they're imperfect people. And the dominant power folk want to take those labels and use them as wedges and hammers to, to actually weaken us itself. Um, but given this down recruiting drive, on this topic, you're the last word, okay? <laughs> no, I just, you
0: know, um, that's so true what you're saying, Stephen, because a lot of the people like people, you know, throughout the years uh, just assume, you know, that I'm a feminist, mostly white women. And they say something about feminism. No, I'm not no feminist because I'm not you. You know what I mean? And I just don't see myself in that. And most of the time they be like kind of crazy. And I, that's not me either. And like um, it just, you know, so for me, I just never I saw myself. In that box, and I never wanted to label myself that because that's not who I am. And if it means me having to carve out my values, it's not worth it. So I never. So when Sheree said, "When I forgot that you do Black feminism work," Sheree, and when you said something, I was like, "Oh." So you know,
2: <laughs>
0: maybe we should have a conversation. I'm not. I I, I I might not ever become a feminist, but I'm just curious now. <laughs> But um, you're right. It's like the you know they they they're, they the people on the 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 other side weaponize it, um, and they take the craziest people and say, "Look, this is a picture of feminism. This is a picture of unionism." You know, he's a thug. You know, what about you know? And and, 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 and people want to run away from the crazy shit, right? And those are crazy ships. And I don't want to be on the crazy ship. I got a lot of other stuff I'm dealing with. So I'll pass. Hard pass. But. I think expanding the idea of what does it mean to be feminism is important. I mean, one thing I didn't say when I talked about why I'm not a feminist um, is really, you know, in the black community, particularly in the southern black community, Big Mama is the leader of the family at the end of it all. You know what I mean? So, yes, Big Mama, you know, she she yields to her husband. But at the end of the day, you ask the husband, he'll say, go ask Big Mama. So at the end of the day, we're really chief. Women are chief. We're the most revered person in the family. Um, and that's a position I've been looking forward
1: to my whole life. So let me kind of be, I call landing this plane. It's been a phenomenal conversation, by the way. This, we could have talked for a long time. I mm-hmm. look forward to going to Alabama and seeing you, mm-hmm. having those rice and beans and so forth, and being nice to your husband, seeing you all the time, a friend, not an enemy, trying to kill you <laughs> with. But how do you define Black freedom, Erica? How do you define Black freedom?
0: Black freedom is when you can move throughout society and be not, not be worried about your skin, not worried about your skin being a limitation. Right now, if somebody give me a snot comment in public, a white guy gives a snot coming, I automatically think, maybe because I'm Black. Or if I get set by a bathroom at a restaurant, I just assume maybe it's because I'm Black. Or if somebody don't want to work with me, um, if I'm trying to handle some business and they don't want to work with me and they're giving me a hard time, I think maybe it's because I'm Black for me, Black freedom is not having that hanging over me every day and being able to move through society freely without my skin being any type of barrier of anything or the assumption of my skin being a barrier of anything. And so, you know, not being categorized by how I look, you know, my talent, you know, Black, your talent's not being questioned because of your skin color, um, your contribution, your value not being challenged because of your skin color. Black freedom in me is just being able to
1: move without no chains of color, like, let it go. Just let me live. Let me be great. That sounds good. Um, to get there, we got to fight for our freedom, okay? But we need to also have a soundtrack and our liberation. Mm-hmm. What music kind of drives you? You can't, You might be in the dumps. You want to kind of get out of the mood. You want to go forward and run through the brick wall. What music kind of gets you going to be part of our soundtrack for liberation?
0: Well, the first one that comes to my mind, when I think about, um, liberation. I don't know why, but Fela, Fela Kuti, um, water has no enemy.
2: Um, yes.
0: love Fela. Um, anything off his soundtrack is a go for me. Um, but for to, you know, in the place I'm in right now to really help me disassociate and disconnect, I've been really heavy into some R and B. Um, and, and, and like good, just lovey dovey R and B. Right now I'm loving, um, her Damage, that the song Damage, Um, it just does something for me. I'm a hardcore R&B girl. I like all music, but that's the one that I'm on right now. But Vela Conti, if I had to choose a soundtrack song, Water Has No Enemy, We Need Water to Sustain Life, that's it. But if you want to catch me in my room on my playlist, I'm listening to some Jealousy from her, some all that kind of stuff, 90s and current R&B.
1: Make sure we're clear. Her is from Vallejo, California, right north of me here in Oakland. And her father was a union iron worker, too. Make sure we're clear on that, okay? Just make sure. Yes. Okay. Make sure we're clear. She got good roots, okay?
0: Okay. okay. Um, okay.
1: What books are you reading, though? What books?
0: Um. So right now, I'm really doing podcasts. I try to, like, so when I'm in a high cerebral state, um, I tend to um not, um read as much because i'm reading a lot for my work like right now i'm trying to master our collective bargaining agreement so we could better enforce it cuz i'm the deputy director so i have to make sure that our organization is in line and i'm reading policies and i'm reading usep language and i'm reading federal policy so reading is not fun for me right now but i'm audiobooking it and i just finished um um i just finished octavia butlers i redid octavia butlers um Earthsea. Um, one and two, um, and then my podcast I'm listening to is uh, what's the one with Dave Chappelle? The most Death the Midnight Train. Um, you should check it out. It's I
2: know,
0: foolishness. Like, yeah. It's foolishness. <laughs> I love it. The music be good. Um, but yeah, I listen to a lot of stuff. I'm constantly consuming, so. When I get through with all of this um, fancy stuff, I like the smell of books. I just bought Will Smith's bio right before he slapped Chris Rock. I bought it right before then, so I got it. Um, <laughs> I, I plan That's going to be the next book I read. But right now, I'm doing sci-fi. Um, what's the, um, the one? Uh, gosh. I, I have this thing where I watch movies and read books one time and don't remember them, so I don't remember titles well. But definitely anything Octavia Butler, Tanari Do. Um, what's that chick name? We write about the, the the Nigerian chick. I can't even remember. It makes me sick that I can't remember names.
1: So all these all these quasi Black feminists. Is it Nettie ch- Okafor? About?
2: Is it Nettie Okafor? the
0: with the locks? Is she write about the girl? Um, the 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 powers that shift. Um,
2: yes, yeah, I know what you're talking. About. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. A part but two I can't came out me.
0: last year. I read both of them books, and I hope a movie come out because they're so good. But I love Black sci-fi, and I do recognize that even what you just said.
2: Yes. Yeah, yes. By, yes, by the way.
1: Um, <laughs> but also, the, uh, the other clarification for the audience when you talk about reading and listening to podca- the podcast, you meant after listening to Black Work Talk, This to podcast. Yes, podcast. That's right. you right? first. I want to clarify, clarify that first. Yes. But, but seriously, it has been wonderful, Erica. I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad I connected with you. This has been phenomenal.
0: This was a fun Friday. I was not
1: expecting this. It's just hey. joyful. That's good. That's good. Cherie, thanks for also good talking to you again.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's good to be in this company on a Friday. It's a good way to go into the weekend.
1: That's good. Y'all have good weekends. Go forth and conquer, y'all, okay? Thank you guys. That was so much fun and generated so much hope. We will win. It will take time and good organizing. I do hope that we, as a movement, can have a nuanced conversation about building broad and durable coalitions. And in that context, Have an effective discussion about the language and labels needed to allow individuals to see themselves in our movement, while simultaneously allowing groups of people to engage in social change that is forward-looking, not reactionary. Thanks for joining me this week on Black Work Talk. Please check out our sponsor, Convergence's website at convergencemag.com or its Facebook page. And pick up the new Convergence book, Power Concedes Nothing, how Grassroots Organizing Wins Elections, a collection of essays and interviews about the underground efforts that mobilized voters in 2020 across the United States. I hope this podcast can grow to become part of the network of our movement for change. We need your help as we build the Black Work Talk community. Please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, and go to Patreon to become a sustainer. And beyond the f- financial support, I would love to hear from you. What do you think about the show? Any suggestions for future guests or future topics to explore? Please let me know. Reach out to me at steven at blackworktalk.com and I promise to get back to you. Till next time, stay safe and be well.